0: You have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. I uh, want to read a f- several verses here. I will take, won't take will take them in order. Let me read verse 1 and then verse uh, 4, and then we'll jump down to verse 12. Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left of us. Of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. Notice that. Entering into his rest. Some of you should come short of it. Verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Going down to verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creatures not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I want you to notice verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I don't know that I have a title for what I want to speak to you tonight about. Um, it came as the result of conversation I had Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening with a young man standing on the platform at the church in Columbus, Ohio. And he... <clears throat> asked me a question, and his question was, why is it some people come to church to think they have to go to war? And he was speaking of a gentleman that in the beginning of the service was praying and the noise was incredibly loud, and all of his motions were incredibly animated, and he looked like he was at war. I've thought about that since Sunday afternoon, and I, I want to speak to you for a little while about a God that understands. Paul said, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The word feeling is supatuo, and we get our word sympathy from it. We have a God that sympathizes, a high priest that sympathizes with the feelings of our infirmities. The Lord bless you. you may be seated. Before I begin, let me say what a, a great honor it is to be able to speak to you tonight. I enjoy being home, I enjoy being here with all of you, and it's, it's an honor to be able to speak to you tonight, and I hope that I can help your life to become better. Paul, writing to the Hebrews, begins in the very beginning of this letter, laying out a system of proofs. As a lawyer, he is stating one piece of evidence after the next piece after the next piece, and he is working towards the end of this book, trying to touch the lives of his own people and help them comprehend and understand who Jesus was. And as he's writing to them, he, he goes back to their Old Testament um, life and the promise that God had made to Israel that they would find a land of promise or a land of rest. Rest has always been part of God's nature. God is not like us. He doesn't burn the candle at both ends. There's a time that he rests. On the seventh day he rested. And he pointed out that there was a time that God rested. And he reminded them. There's, God has created a rest or a relationship that you don't have to war all the time. There's a place that you can come to church and just enjoy being here and feel comfortable being here. Now, when you look at his analogies that he used to prove to us that we have this ability to rest, to most of us, they're not real helpful. To point out that God's Word is quick and powerful, it is alive and active, it still has the same power today it had the day that it was spoken, it has never lost its authority or it's power, it's just as powerful today as then. It's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. You, you cannot touch it without laying it down bloody. It will cut you when you pick it up. Now, that's not comfortable. There's no comfort in knowing if I pick this word up when I lay it down... I will lay it down bloody because it has cut me in the process. Why does he use that illustration? It, it's, it's sharp. It's two-edged, two-mouthed. It cuts both directions. See, I can hide from everybody in my world. I can hide from my wife. I can hide from my children. I can hide from my brothers. And I, I can do things that nobody knows. The moment I pick the Word up and begin to read it, though I can't hide, because instantly as I read the Word, that Word begins to affect my life, and all those things I thought I had hid are not hid, and and it, it, it causes me to come face to face with me. And as a result of that, we don't pick the Word up. We know the results, so... We don't read it or study it like we should because we of the effect that it has on our life. It, it's quick, it's powerful, it it's cuts, but it not only cuts, it discerns. It discerns thought and intent. It separates my thought process from my intentions and it, it understands every aspect of my life. That's not comforting to know that I can't hide from God. He says, everything is naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to believe. There is no hiding from God. I I can't hide from Him. He knows. Now, how can you get rest out of knowing that if you mess up, immediately you're found out? That doesn't bring comfort. It, It causes us, if we just read it, without understanding or or taking time to comprehend what He's really saying to us, it can become incredibly intimidating. But God does not want us to feel that way in His house. He began by pointing out there's a rest that He wanted us to enter, and now Israel did not enter their rest. They didn't receive what God had for them. They, They didn't... Find what God designed for them to find. And then he says, just as they were and didn't enter their rest, there's a possibility that you and I may not find ours. So he says, let's labor, therefore, that we find the rest. He indicates that if you want to find what God has for you, you're going to to have to search for it. We live in a world of entitlement mentality that thinks we should get everything we want and we deserve it or we're entitled to it. This doesn't work at God's house. It it doesn't work in God's plan. I'm not entitled. I can receive anything I choose, but if I want to know God, then I have to start looking for Him and I, I have to start trying to connect to Him. The day He saves me and I become His child, From that day forward, I I am not a puppet. He, He doesn't drag me one place or another. He doesn't force me to become anything. If I choose to get close to God, it's my decision. If I choose to pray, it's my decision. If I choose to fast, it's my decision. If I choose to read my Bible, it's by my choice. I choose to do it. I am not made to do anything. Now, Paul indicated in his other letter that... When you were a servant of Satan, you had no choice because he does with you at his will. So when you're not part of God's family and you're part of the other family, you you really don't have a choice about what happens in your life. But the day you become a child of God, you enter into a new arena in which God frees you to become you. God frees you to become what he created you to be. Now, He won't make you become that. He won't force you to become that. But He gives us this incredible opportunity to discover Him in whatever way we want to. And to do so, it takes a lot of effort. Let us therefore labor, work, to enter into that rest. Lest any of us should fall short of it by, by the same thing. And what caused them to fall short? Their lack of faith. Their, their lack of trusting God. The problem with trust, you cannot isolate it. If somebody hurts you bad in life and they cause you a lot of pain and you lose your trust or you think you lose your trust, you cannot isolate your trust To that one person. The moment you lose trust in one human being. Over a short period of time. It starts bleeding over to every human being in your life. And so you'll go from not trusting a wife. To not trusting a brother or a parent. Or your friends or your neighbors or the people. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The moment. I lose my trust with my fellow man, I lose it with God as well. Why? Because they're made in His image. And if you can't trust people that are made like Him, how can you trust Him? If I don't learn to trust the people that are around me and and to take advantage of what God has in my life or for my life, I, I will never receive or become what God has designed me to be. See, I am convinced that you and I are exactly what we want to be. We're as spiritual as we want to be. We have, we have conquered everything we want to conquer in life. We've, we are as successful as we want to be. We, we all have our comfort zone. Of, of where we want to get in life, and anything past that makes us uncomfortable. So we operate within these confines of, of past experiences and past uh, relationships, and, and anything that's uncomfortable with that, we just don't participate because it requires work. Now, I'm an incredibly introverted person. I can spend all day in a hotel room by myself. I'm good company. I don't need to be chauffeured. I, they take my, my hotel, drop me off, and I can stay there all day. I, I can study. I, I, I can work and do whatever I want to do. And and I, I can be there without any connection as a result of that. It takes a lot of effort for me to connect with people. I have to work at it. It doesn't come natural. Now, my wife, on the other hand, is the total opposite of me. She can connect anybody. She can walk in the grocery store and come out and tell me their life history five minutes later where they spent their summer vacation, what restaurants they ate at, what's a good place to go to on Galveston and, and All of us have different areas we have to work at. They're all different. We're not alike. We're very unique and God created us in that manner for a purpose so that together we can create a body that works and functions correctly. There's the possibility that I can not become what God designed me to be. But I don't want to live life not being everything I have the potential or the ability to become. One of the things they say about most people when they get to the end of their life that the majority of people have a lot of regrets. At the end of their life, they look back at their life and, and they regret things that they haven't done or places they haven't gone or relationships that they didn't develop. And there's a lot of regrets. That's not necessary. You you can live life with no regrets. You, you can live life... To its fullest. That's what God wants for His people to discover, learning how to live life to its fullest and enjoy living life. God didn't create a relationship where you and I have to fight all the time. If I think I have to fight every time I come to church, then I do not believe that Jesus did what he did on the cross. Paul said that he hath made us to triumph in Christ Jesus. He made us. I don't have to earn one triumph. I don't have to earn one victory. I can celebrate every victory of life because he conquered life. As a result of him conquering life, I get to enjoy the victory. And I didn't even have to fight in the battle. Let us therefore fear lest the promise being less of us, we would come short of it. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Then he goes on to express this relationship that we have with our high priest. He speaks of a uh, high priest that is passed in the heaven. And then he says, let us hold fast our profession. You better know what you believe. As time becomes or, or approaches the end and the coming of the Lord gets nearer, the Bible says, Jesus said that men's heart would fail them for fear. One of the signs of the end time is a rise in fear. And that's an epidemic today, if you haven't noticed. Everybody's terrified about everything. And as a result of, of that fear that we have, we, we allow it to affect our relationship with God. God's created the safest place in the world. There's no place as safe as His presence. There's no place you can come to or go to that is as safe as it is right here. When you walk out of here, you'll never walk away with your head down, your face red, because He's shamed you, embarrassed you, or humiliated you. God doesn't make public spectacles out of His kids. He doesn't stand them in front of the world and say, Look how sorry my son is. Look how miserable he fell. This is a safe place. It is so safe that you can expose yourself and become absolutely and totally vulnerable and never be afraid that it will be used against you. So the Bible says for us to confess our faults one to another and pray you one for another that you may be healed. James indicates that healing is part of confession or the process of confession. And if you can't speak it, you can't be healed. If you ask people today about telling somebody their secret, and would they do it, probably 90 to 95% of people would say, no, I would never tell anybody a secret. Why? Who can you trust? And that's the common phrase of the world we live in today, is, is who can you trust? And, and just recently I, I heard a very elder statesman among us ask that same question. Who can you trust? Well, I'm going to tell you who you can trust. You can trust Jesus. You can trust a high priest. You can trust a high priest that will never, never allow confession to be revealed to somebody else. You can trust a high priest that is easily touched with the feelings of our... He is easily touched... It's not difficult for God to feel what's happening in your life. How can He do that? There's a reason. Because He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Because of His temptation and His struggle with flesh just like yours, it allows Him to sympathize. Now that word sympathize or duo is different than ours because ours really doesn't mean a lot. It means you might have an understanding or, or you might have feelings for others and empathy for others, but their word means to share in the pain. To share in the pain. It's not going through something, Say, oh, I've been there, I know what that's all about. It's participating and sharing With the pain of whoever has the issue. We have a high priest that has the ability to understand every issue of my life, every failure of my life, every short, every time I hurt, he shares the pain. Now, why do we not reveal to him what our pain is? Why are we afraid to express those things? See, I know that most people have never turned loose of the real issues that challenge them. I have talked to thousands of people at this point, 25,000 plus, And it's very difficult to get them to tell me their story. I don't know that I ever hear the whole story because people are afraid to tell their life and to share their experience for fear that somebody will use it against them or it will become talk or gossip or, 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 or I'll be made to, to look uh, as somebody who's defective or blemished or I have a problem. And so we, we don't share. We, we're we afraid Of being vulnerable. But the fact is, if you cannot be vulnerable in life, you will never be whole. Why? Because by definition, trust has to have a risk involved. For you to trust somebody, you've got to take a risk. You will get hurt. For you to trust God, you've got to take a risk. God may not answer. Now, I can promise you that's not going to happen But you have to take the risk that maybe this won't happen the way I want it to happen, but you're willing to take the risk anyway. We have a high priest who sympathizes. Now, when Paul was writing to the Jews and whatever Greek or Roman that would read this letter, he understood that he was writing a concept that was foreign to both cultures. The Greek culture said that God was unknowable, that no human being had the power or the ability to understand God. God. God was so great and so vast that no human would ever have an ability to understand or comprehend God in any form. The Jews said that God was so holy and so righteous that man couldn't touch Him because of His holiness. Jesus came that He could touch us. In the garden, God enjoyed a daily walk with Adam. In the cool of every day, God showed up to walk with Adam through that garden and have a conversation with Adam to touch Adam, the old lamb. But once sin came about, God could no longer do that. From the garden to the cross... God could only influence man and allow his spirit to be around man but never in man. Man had no man could not be possessed by God. He could be possessed by devil but he could not be possessed by God from the from the garden to the cross. But the day the cross took place it gave God the ability to touch and hold what he had created in the garden because that's what he's always going to do. And it's his desire to touch us in ways that we don't even know that we have the ability to be touched that way. But it requires trust. It requires faith. The just shall live by... The just shall live by trust because faith is a conviction of the truth of something. That's trust. See... The just have to live. They have to come to a place where they're comfortable trusting God with every aspect of their life. They have to get to this place in life where they're not afraid that life's going to take them somewhere that they can't handle or, or bring them something that they, they will not be able to overcome. We have a high priest. He's easily touched with the feelings of our Infirmities. Now, that word "infirmity" is a is such a broad term. It it means a malady, a, a, a frailty, a disease, a sickness, a weakness, a deficiency. Whatever your problem is in life, doesn't matter if it's disease. It doesn't matter if it's part of the mind or part of the body. He understands, and he's easily touched. Sometimes we act like God's a long way off. We we almost create a God that that's, we have to holler and scream to get His attention. The song says He's as close as the mention of His name. The day cometh and now is, Jesus said, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father seeketh such. That word, seeketh, means he's finding, he's looking. The moment someone starts to worship him, he starts trying to find them. Now, he's not going to make you do any of those things. If you want a relationship with him, you've got to cultivate it. But the day you start cultivating it and opening yourself to it, instantly God is there. You don't have to work to find God or or look for God. God's looking for us. That's the rest that He wants us. God wants us to be so comfortable that the moment we enter this place, we can enjoy just being in His presence. Let us, therefore... Now, what does therefore refer to? All those previous statements. The whole purpose of this paragraph or our chapter 4 of Hebrews is to get to verse 16. And to get us to verse 16, he's got to point out all these other issues. He's got to point out the fact that the Word of God is alive and active. You can't hide from it. It's going to cut you when you pick it up. It's going to discern thought. It may intimidate you. It may make you feel uncomfortable. It doesn't matter what it does. That, that's a possibility. That's part of the therefore. But also understand that because of that therefore, that high priest is always available that understands and knows everything about my life. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy And find grace to help in the time. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Boldly. The the Greek word is parousia. And it speaks of frank and fearless candor of speech. The license to. Bluntness. Assurance. Confidence. Openly, plainness. It's the right to say what you want to say. Now what he's saying is, he knows everything about you. So, because he does, it gives you the ability to tell him anything you want to tell him. It gives you the ability to say anything you want to say. God is not fragile and God will not get his feelings hurt because you say something that might hurt his feelings. He's not like you and I. Now we can say things to each other and we'll get our feelings hurt, we'll pout, we'll sulk, we won't talk to them for a while because they hurt my feelings. So we think God's the same way. But God understands if he doesn't give you the right to say what's in your heart and mind, you are trapped in a prison you'll never get out of. God knows that if you can't speak it, you can't heal from it. And so when life causes things to hurt us, look at how man addresses life. Let's go to the garden. When God shows up to find Adam and he's looking for him and and God says, Adam, where are you? What's Adam's response? Adam didn't identify his place of hiding. He did say When when God says, Adam, where are you at? He said, I'm hiding. And and God said, what are you hiding for? He never revealed his hiding place. What he did was reveal what he thought caused him to have to hide. The reason I'm in hiding is that woman you made. She caused me a problem. But God, if you hadn't created her there would be no problem. So, God, don't blame her. This is your fault. Do you understand that God knows when you're mad at Him? See, He just told you He understands thought and intent. We think as long as we have it trapped in our mind, nobody has a clue what's going on in life. But God knows. But it doesn't bother him to know that you might not be happy with him because he let something in your life or happen to your life that 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 you think has hurt you or harmed you, and so you've got a few issues with God because God allowed certain things to come along and you you're just mad about the things, and so you come to the house of God and it's God's fault. God, you blame him for the problem, and God says that's perfectly okay. Listen, I understand. Folks, do you really understand what I'm saying? What did He say on a cross? What was His prayer at death? My God! My God! Why hast Thou forsaken me? If anybody understands the question, why? He does. But we're afraid to say it. See, y'all are scared to death right now. I mean, as long as you think it, it's not an issue. So it just wanders around in the in the 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 corners of the mind, and just stays there. But it affects the way you treat people. It affects the way you come to church. It affects everything about your life. But as long as you don't put it into words, it's not a big deal. It's just just affecting every aspect of my life. As Paul says, I, I just want to point something out about him. He is... Easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And because of that, He has given you the license to come to His presence. And if you want to scream at Him, He says, scream. If you want to tell Him how bad He's hurt you, He says, speak. I remember standing in an altar one Sunday morning years ago. A lady came in and she was new. The church on the north side of town. She had never been there before. Matter of fact, I, I'm listening to her pray. I started to pray for her and I felt checked so I just could not listen. And her prayer was, God, I was walking by this church this morning and I felt your presence draw me here. Now, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I know you drawed me here. But God, you know I've got problems with you. And she started telling the things that she thought God had allowed in her life that hurt her because God allowed all the, and she just starts pouring out, and and, and I, I'm kind of taken back. I, I was 23, 24 years of age at the time, and and I had had heard all those things that we often said, and and uh, that uh, you can you, you can cross a line with God and you say things that 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 God's not going to ever forgive you of. And I'm thinking, man, lightning is going to strike right here. So I'm going to back up just a minute. And I'm watching this lady as as she's spewing out stuff. And I'm not going to say what she said. She wasn't ugly. She didn't curse. She just spewed out the anger in her life of what she thought God had caused. And as she spewed it out, tears started running down her cheeks. And the more she spewed the tears. This lady's never been inside the doors of this church before this day. Never been there before this day. Those tears start running down her cheeks. And she broke forth in the most beautiful language you've ever heard in all your life. And she began to just worship and pray in that heavenly language. I saw her face change. It went from harshness to all of a sudden a glow come on and that, the smile came on her face because she had understood, she had walked into a throne room, a throne room called grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, beauty, loveliness, winsomeness, to the throne of beauty that we may obtain Mercy. That word obtain means to take in hand. You pick it up. You seize it. You don't beg for it. You don't ask for it. You you, you don't have to say, you know, God, I, I need some mercy today. The throne room's full of it. And when you walk into the throne room of grace, you just kind of pick up mercy. And it doesn't matter where you've been in life or what's happening in your life or the chaos or the turmoil or all the issues. When you pick up mercy, you will be introduced. You will find. That book is powerful. That book cuts. It knows where you live and who you are. It knows all about you. But don't allow that aspect of it to keep you out of a throne room. What He wants you to understand, if you can ever get to the throne room and you can ever speak you, then you open a door for healing. Psychologists will tell you that you can never heal from any problem or issue of life until you can speak it. if you've suffered the horrible abuses of life, no matter how horrible they are, you can never heal from them until you verbally speak them. So they have a tool they call journalizing. And they ask you, if you can't say it verbally, to just sit down and write your story to yourself and tell yourself the story of your life. And that allows you to get it out of the mind Into the world you live in so that healing can take place. And Paul gave us a license to do that right here. Paul said, you come to the throne of God. See, God created a place. Well, how did I start? What did I start with tonight? There's no place safer than right here. This is the safest place you can ever find. And when you walk into His presence and you can open up your life and you can speak your life, there is Nothing you cannot heal from in life because He's created an atmosphere that allows complete and total trust. You'll never be misused or abused by God. You're never going to walk away with your head down face red because He shamed you, He embarrassed you, He humiliated you, He he made fun of you, He made a speck. He he said things like, I told you so. I knew you couldn't do it. I I, I knew you wasn't able to conquer these things. That'll never come from... God will never say those things. If those... Words ever walk through the corridors of your mind. They're never from God. And they're not from a the devil. They're from you. We do those things to ourselves. But if you want your life to become different, then I want to introduce you to a place that's so safe that no matter what you feel or how you feel about it, no matter how deep the hurt or how painful the experience, if you will say it to Him, all of a sudden as that woman that morning on Irvington Boulevard began to speak and God just reached in her heart, and the moment you can say it, now he can go in and bring healing and uh, allow life to begin to heal and life to begin to change because you trust him enough to tell him how you feel. Remember the church at Laodicea? What God said about him Thou art lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. You have need of nothing. And I want to spew you out. You make me so sick, I want to vomit. It's literally what he said. But to the church that made him sick, notice his next word. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Your words may make him sick, but he'll never, he's going to stand there knocking until you open the door and let him in. If any man open that door and let me in, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. That's the evening meal when you sit down and talk about today and life and you go over the activities of the day. It's not the, the meal you take at lunch or the one you have at breakfast. It's the meal in the evening when the family gathers and everybody gets to sit around and talk about what life was like today. He said, I'll sit down with you and you can express yourself. You can tell me about life. one of the sad tragedies about humans is that the moment something traumatic or unusual happens, we always blame ourselves for the problem. It's always my fault. There's something wrong with me. I'm broke. I'm defecting. If this wasn't the case, this would have never happened. It's always us. God knows that for us to get past us, He had to create this incredibly safe place where He says, I lie, so I give you the right. I give you frank and fearless candor speech. You can say what you want to say, however you want to say it. And I will never be hurt by your words. Because I know unless you say it, I can't heal you. So I'm giving you the right to speak it so healing can come to your life. Now, where can you go and find anything like that? Please stand.